Hello, my friends, and welcome to another moment, a Black History Moment with Bo. And I hope you're doing well today, because it seems like this weather is just going crazy. If something's not burning up, something is flooding, or hurricanes are just ripping towns apart. So wherever you are, my friend, be safe. Don't try to drive in any of this mess. It's better to be safe than to be sorry. And if you've been listening to this show long enough, you know that I don't do shout outs. But I got to do one today because I really think it is needed. We've all seen the news where that young 12-year-old boy was put in handcuffs in Lansing, Michigan. Well, the fact is that my young cousin is his attorney, and his name is Rico Neal, and him and his wife are representing that young boy. And what I am asking, if you are a listener, a follower of this show, send up a mental thought for this man, Rico Neal, to be victorious in this case because you know the police are going to try to turn it around in their favor. So, Mr. Rico Neal, we are sending you positive thoughts that you are successful. And all I have to say, cuz, is be careful out there because your enemies are not strangers. My friends, today we're going to slip into darkness and I'm going to tell you about a great man, a great man that never got the acknowledgement of being a great man. And his name was Donald Lee Hollowell. Hollowell was a distinguished civil rights attorney and he successfully argued several notable court cases that led to the end of segregation in the South. He was a lawyer for the National Association for the Advancement of Colored People, the NAACP. And he quickly rose to prominence for his expert legal strategies and confidence in the courtroom. He was a friend of Martin Luther King, and he even got King's release from a Georgia state prison and was an ally and confidant of many other notable leaders in the civil rights struggle. Not only did this man have courage in a time when having courage was dangerous, but he also had a brilliant legal mind. The one-time president of the NAACP, Julian Bond, wrote of him in a tribute published a few years before his death. He said he outstripped, out-argued, out-appeared these famous so-called great constitutional lawyers who had erected this barrier of segregation throughout the South. They had the reputation, (laughs) but Hollowell had the goods. And like other great soldiers who fought the war for equal rights for us, 
He was born in the early 19th century. As a matter of fact, he was born in 1917 in Wichita, Kansas. And as a teen, he was told to quit school by his father in order to work full-time to support the family in Hollowell enlisted in the U.S. Army instead. And he served six years in the famous 10th Cavalry, an all-black regiment dating back to 1866, whose members were dubbed Buffalo Soldiers by the Kiowa Indians. Like so many of us, while he was in the service, he earned his high school diploma. And when he got discharged, he enrolled in Lane College, a historically black college in Jackson, Tennessee. And he was a starting quarterback on his Dragons football team. But he re-enlisted in the military when the United States entered World War II in the late 1941. He reached the rank of captain while in combat in Europe. Hollowell returned to Lane after the war and graduated in 1947. He earned a law degree from Loyola University in Chicago in 1951 and moved to Atlanta, Georgia that same year. In 1951, my friends, was an era of deeply institutionalized racism in the South. And Holloway was one of just a dozen black lawyers in the city. Deeply interested in challenging the series of local ordinances known as the Jim Crow laws that regulated African Americans to the status of second-class citizens. So he became involved in several notable court cases seeking the end of discrimination. His first major case came in 1955 when he served as lead attorney on Ward versus Regents. He argued on behalf of Horace T. Ward, an African-American applicant to the University of Georgia School of Law, who had been rejected for admission. The university barred black students at all levels, and the case attracted widespread attention. The federal court sided with the school, of course, in ruling that Ward had not fulfilled the necessary entrance requirements. Like I told you before, my friends, Hollowell knew Martin Luther King and was asked to help out when King was arrested at a 1960 protest and then sentenced to four months on a misdemeanor charge involving his driver's license. Hollowell secured King's release from Reedsville State Prison thanks to arguments presented to the Georgia Court of Appeals. But future times when King was jailed would require White House intervention. When asked what King was like as a client, Hollowell replied that the legendary civil rights leader was always cooperative. He'd have his own decisions, of course, but we never had any problem with having him to go along with what we were suggesting in the situation. Hollowell mounted a second challenge to the University of Georgia's discriminatory policies when he took on another test case, this one involving two gifted students, Charlene Hunter and Hamilton Holmes, 
who applied for admission to the undergraduate division of the school in 1959, but were turned down. And again, the university maintained that they had been rejected by admissions officers for reasons other than the color of their skin. Holmes versus Danner went to trial in U.S. District Court in December of 1960, and this time the judge ruled in the students' favor. Hunter and Holmes' first week of classes made national headlines because of the riots that erupted on campus, and Holloway and his wife received harassing telephone calls and even death threats. Holmes went on to become the first black graduate of Emory University's medical school, and Hunter, the pioneering broadcast journalist, Charlene Hunter Galt. Now, I know some of my young listeners do not remember when these situations were going on. And sometimes when I mention things like this to some of them, their answer is, you got to be kidding me, Bo. But every time I see the University of Georgia or Alabama or Mississippi or Florida or any of them Southern schools football team hit the field and I see it's predominantly black, I think about these guys and the fact that when I was that age, I was not even allowed to go to one of these schools. But now because of the money they get from TV, and other sponsors, if you can carry a ball or dribble a ball, they'll give you a free ride to their school. But you must, you must look behind the closed door. But anyway, back to my guy. Honeywell won other successful desegregation cases, including one involving public transportation in Macon, Georgia and another that forced Grady Memorial Hospital in Atlanta to hire African-American doctors and served as a landmark decision that integrated hospitals across the United States. With the end of the civil rights struggle that came with the passage of the Civil Rights Act of 1964 and the following year's Voting Rights Act, Hollowell moved on to a federal appointment. Now, there were a number of new government agencies created to enforce the anti-discrimination laws, and one of them was the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission, EECO, which monitored the workplace. And in 1966, President Lyndon B. Johnson appointed Holloway as the first director of the EEOC's Southeastern Office a job he held for the next 19 years. A respected civil rights leader in Atlanta, Hollowell was known as the top civil rights lawyer in Georgia and one of the best in the South. In both his private practice and federal job, he worked to train a younger generation of civil rights attorneys. One of them was Vernon Jordan, who served as director of the National Urban League and the advisor to two U.S. presidents, Jimmy Carter and Bill Clinton. 
Hallowell remained active in various civil rights organizations and served as president of the Voter Education Project in 1971 to 1986. During his tenure, the number of registered African-American voters climbed from 3 million to 5.5 million. The man was doing his due. His wife, Louise Thornton Hollowell, was a professor of English at Morris Brown College. The couple had no children and never moved out of the Atlanta house they purchased in 1961. Hollowell died on December the 27th, 2004, of heart failure at the age of 87. His funeral at Morehouse College was a three-hour affair in which he was eulogized by more than 20 speakers, including Hunter Galt Jordan and the United States Ambassador Andrew Young. Holloway's one-time law firm partner, Marvin Arrington, told the gathering that Holloway was a hero in the civil rights struggle whose legal brilliance ended segregation in the South. Every time you drink out of a water fountain that doesn't have black and white, Arrington said, you ought to say thank you, Don. I know a lot of my listeners have never seen water fountains like this, but I have. And back then in the South, this was normal. It wasn't normal for me, but it was for my parents. Rest in peace, Donald Lee Hollowell, and know that your story has been told. Maybe a lot of people in the West and a lot of people in the North have never heard of you and the brilliant mind that you had and the fight that you put up for our equality. You have been pulled from the darkness, Mr. Hollowell. And I hope your story goes on and on. And I hope your name become as prominent in the black household as Martin Luther King's is. My friends, that music tells me, yep, it's that time. But before I go, I've got to make a few statements to you. It is people like Donald Hollowell whose name and accomplishments have to be put on our younger generation's minds. Because this school system definitely will not do that. But guess what? His story is no longer in the darkness. My friends, history is vital. How do you plan for today and tomorrow if you don't know what happened yesterday? So have a great day today. Peace to my ancestors and my elders. I walk in your strength, legacy, and power today and every day. Until next time, it has been my honor.